Hi, everybody. It's Bean. Welcome to an all-new Great Moments in Weed History. This weed, I'm pulling a never-before-heard interview out of my archives, my secret stash, if you will, so that I can share with you a stone conversation I had with one of the sharpest comedic minds on the scene today, a professional funny man who reps cannabis culture loud and proud at every opportunity. First and foremost, my guest Matt Bester is one of the founders of Upright Citizens Brigade, a.k.a. the UCB. That's an iconic improv and sketch troupe and later school that Matt started in the 1990s along with Amy Poehler, Matt Walsh, and Ian Roberts. And what, you may ask, was Matt's most famous character on the legendarily stony UCB Comedy Central TV series. Why, that would be Bong Boy, of course. Regular listeners to this podcast already know all about UCB from our episode entitled I Sold Weed Cookies to Famous Comedians. If you somehow missed that one, it's a classic, it's still available in the archives, and it will make an excellent companion piece to this interview. Getting back to Matt, in addition to founding a school that's graduated some of the biggest names in comedy over the last 20 years, our guest this weed has also put out a full-length comedy special called Pot Humor, which he recorded live at a cannabis club in Portland where the audience is allowed to smoke weed and dab before, after, and yes, during the show. Here's a taste of how that went. This is a, a TED Talk for stoners. Who would you rather have at your party? Someone who's too drunk or too high? Exactly. The drunk is going to break your mirror. The, the, the stoner is just going to get lost in your mirror. My favorite weed bit Matt's ever done, yes, I put it even above Bong Boy, was the time he appeared on Comedy Central's Crossballs. The conceit of that criminally underloved satirical series was that ostensibly two people got booked on a cable news show in order to debate a hot button issue. Only one of them is really a comedian in character. In a Crossballs episode about legalization, Matt appeared as head of the fictitious Independent Marijuana Research Center for a debate against a woman representing an all-too-real anti-weed parents group. She had no idea what was about to hit her. Things quickly went from stony to surreal. Out of the crossfire, beyond hardball, this is Crossballs. I'm Chris Tallman. Tonight's topic, marijuana. Hey, everyone, there's a baby in the pool. Is pot to blame or should marijuana be legalized? First up from the organization Drug Abuse is Life Abuse, Marilyn McDougal. Also with us is the head of the Independent Marijuana Research Center, Matthew Benson. Question of the day. Is marijuana more dangerous or less dangerous than the average person believes? Marilyn. Far more dangerous than Why the average. Why is that? Kids are out still using marijuana, thinking it was the same marijuana their parents and grandparents used. It's not. It's more potent. Matt, it's, how do you respond? I've been um, researching pot myself since college on myself, and I've discovered the, the fact... A good scientist never experiments on oh, themselves. Really? What about Isaac Newton? He had the apple fall on his own head. That's how he found out about gravity. Do you not believe in gravity? Because he experimented on himself. I do believe in gravity. Now, 
Before we dig into our conversation with Matt Besser, I want to stop and say a huge thank you to everyone who supports this show on Patreon. The Great Moments community we're building online is truly the only thing keeping this podcast alive right now so that we can all get high on history together and share these incredible stories with people all over the world. If you, yes, you, please, you, one time, if you want to throw in on this shit, just go to greatmomentsinweedhistory.com and for as little as a dollar a month, you'll get incredible bonuses like the video version of the podcast, a weekly secret sesh, and ad-free versions of every episode we put out. You can also put five on it or for just a little more, you can get a signed copy of my book, How to Smoke Pot Properly, mailed directly to your door. You might be smoking pot improperly even right as you hear these words. Also, just a heads up, a new double-blind study from researchers at Harvard Medical School found that people reported feeling up to 82% more high after smoking cannabis when they were also supporters of great moments in weed history as opposed to a control group of stoners who smoked weed while listening to the podcast but did not throw in on this shit. And who in this day and this age and in this economy can afford to forego being 82% higher on the same stash? Okay, I obviously made that research study up, but seriously, you will have a very warm feeling knowing that you helped support authentic cannabis culture. You'll be sticking it to the man, too, because this podcast is consistently shadow banned throttled and peanut buttered by the powers that be all in an effort to suppress our free speech and prevent us from telling these highly inspiring tales of weed history and the stony days of yore. And so we rely on you, dear listener, to break through that informational blockade. Please tell your friends about this podcast at your next smoke sesh, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you can, Visit greatmomentsinweedhistory.com and sign up for all of that incredible bonus content. One quick programming note before we get into this episode, my conversation with Matt Besser took place just a few weeks after California voted to legalize cannabis in 2016, so he started our interview by asking me what the new law would allow. And with that, we're ready to get lit and dig into an episode that features several great moments in weed history, including an incredible one that comes right at the end. But here we are at the beginning, and I'm hearing, what's that? Hold on. Oh my God, it's coming in by teletype that you, yes, you are not as lit as you'd like to be. Well, my friends, as always, I have a simple bit of advice, and that is... Just chill, because all you have to do is hit pause, and you can use that time at your leisure to roll yourself a joint, or to split a blunt, or to pack a bong, or to endabulate a dab, or to do as I'm going to do, and take a puff on a pod tone full of pure rosin, because the one thing I can absolutely guarantee you is that when you are lit as you'd like to be, and you hit un 
pause and you're ready. Well, then, by golly, we'll all be ready for another great moment in weed history. No, not legally, um, but because that's really where I like to smoke is <laughs> where two streets come to an intersection. Well, I'll say this. We are big believers in civil disobedience. Mm-hmm. So I still see. Um, Don't push me out on the streets <laughs> to get arrested for your amusement. It's not for my amusement. It's for the larger social good. <laughs> that's the only reason I smoke marijuana is because I'm so opposed to the laws against it. I personally don't enjoy it. Back in the early 90s, when I used to go to the 420-day events, in essence, were legalized marijuana events in, in Washington Square, specifically in New York City. I know a good majority of the crowd was under the impression that it was legal to smoke in the park on that day. Because we did. Everyone was doing it. And basically, the cops were like, this is too much to deal with. So you guys can do it. But I think some people thought it actually was legal on that day. He's like, no, guys, we're just doing it. And that, just just for uh, reference, that does not hold up in court just, just because you believe something uh, right. doesn't make it true. But that was... No, it was 420 at 420. <laughs> doesn't matter. Your Honor. still illegal. <laughs> I have this affidavit. Uh, no, I mean, that was pre-Rudy Giuliani New York also, mm-hmm. um, when, uh, believe it or not, they thought there were bigger uh, enforcement issues than, than people smoking pot, you know, and then I don't know if you were still in New York when Giuliani became mayor, but uh, that changed very quickly. I, you know, I was arrested uh, for smoking pot on the street in New York. Sorry, mom. I don't know if you're going to listen to this, but that would be uh, news to my mom. And 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 held for uh, 36 hours and almost longer. Oh, my goodness. It New was, York, that's embarrassing. You know. Um, to a cop. Yeah. Uh, have you ever been, uh, have I, you ever gotten busted? Anytime I've been busted, I was doing way more than just smoking pot. <laughs> <laughs> I was running nude from a cop so the the pot smoking was the least of my problems you, you weren't in possession right? unless you had a joint hanging out of the corner of your mouth i would assume you weren't in possession exactly uh well i always have a bong on my butt but uh one time i was on the streets of new york during giuliani times and we were down in the east village getting high outside a comedy club we were very aware of we shouldn't be getting high out here, even like we are in Giuliani times. And we saw a cop at the top of the block. Someone saw him and went, cop! And who? And uh, this guy, <laughs> this comedian Sam Cedar, he, he was holding a pint and he threw it, like, let's get rid of the pint. But he threw it up against one of those metal doors that you pull down over your store to lock it up. So it just went... So the cops weren't even looking our direction or didn't give a <laughs> shit about us in general. And But then we threw this thing up against the metal door, so it just went, clang! So now all of a sudden the cops came over to us to see why we were messing with this metal door. But no, we did not get arrested. 
you you were able to who who took the lead on talking your way out of it? I can't even remember, but I remember it's just like, yeah, we're trying to be cool. Hey, the first mm-hmm. bang, draw attention yeah, yeah, to yourself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, I've never been arrested. And let's just backtrack quickly to running naked from the cops. That's how, not how, really a weed. That's more of a Mad Dog twenty twenty story <laughs> than a weed story. So, uh, so you think that uh, maybe alcohol might be more of a socially disruptive substance than cannabis? My God, yes. I mean, that's so obvious to anyone who's been in both cultures and seen them intersect. There's a famous story, uh, and I'd love to get uh, a little bit of the details of it, of um, you and High Times and the Cannabis Cup in Amsterdam. <laughs> and was uh, just tell me how that how that how that came up about in the first place. How did you, uh, you know, you're one of the founders of the Upright Citizens Brigade. Yeah, Amy Poehler, Matt Walsh, Ian Roberts, and I had a sketch group in 98 through 2000 on Comedy Central. We, we, had, we had a lot of marijuana-themed scenes. I had a character named Bong Boy. So we, we were a very weed-friendly sketch group, and we, knew, we ended up knowing a lot of the, the High Times writers, um, and they invited us to be at the Cannabis Cup. We were not, we didn't judge anything. We were just there to be uh, inter- entertainment this is back when it was just in Amsterdam, and I can't remember the name of that place. I want to say like the the Luft Milk or the Milkvik. Milkvin. It has a milk in it. Yeah, it means Milky Way. It's in Dutch. Okay, Milky Way. Yeah. So it's this big, pretty nice, big venue. We get there, and I'm sure, pretty sure it was the Patty Smith band. I'm pretty sure that was who we were paired with, and she was the headliner. And we were going to do some sketch before her. And we get there in the green room and we had two sketches and we hadn't done either one of them before. We wrote them specifically for the event. Um, but we get there and we get in the green room. And the reason I say we hadn't done the scenes before is they were like, what do you guys need to do with be, with tech before the show? And we're like, well, we have whatever it was, two cues per scene. And, uh, and we need to tell you where the lights go up and down. So it wasn't super complicated, but we definitely needed to get out there and do these cues. So we're in the green room. And they're like, okay, guys, do you need anything? We're like, well, we just need to get out there and do cues. And this is like an hour before the show. All right, no problem. Pa- Patty's just doing a sound check. You guys can come right out. All right, great. Uh, but you need anything? You guys want some weed? We're like, all right, sure. Um, they give us some weed. We put it on the table. 15 minutes later, hey, how are you guys doing? We're doing great. When are we going to do that sound check? Uh, she's still out there, so uh, you guys will be up. You need anything? You want some weed? Sure, we'll take some weed. So now it's become a joke because we now have enough weed. We're only in town for four days, so we, 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 we probably walked into the venue with enough weed to take us the four days. The joke became anytime someone from High Times would come in there to ask us, we would ask for more and more weed. And we just had this pile of weed piling up on the middle of the table. And now Ian was starting to get mad because he was sober. And he's like, I feel like we're getting all this stuff that I can't get any part of. So he decided just to go off the wagon just for that weekend. Since he's a health guy, he wasn't going to smoke at all. So he just started dipping chunks of, uh, uh, of weed and yogurt and just swallowing it. <laughs> swallowing it. And we never got our sound checked. 
We got a big pile of weed, no sound check. And by the time we went out there, we were so goddamn high. And you should not be high before doing a, a written sketch that you've never done before. And you can find this on YouTube. And I probably shouldn't say that because it's, 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 we are so stoned. It's embarrassing. We now take you to colonial times. Hey, George Washington, you want some of this Jefferson 76 or some of this slave homegrown? Well, Denzel Revere, you know right well that both those strains are the same. George Washington, as Paul Revere, I can attest that my brother Denzel Revere will sell you only the kindest of bud, good sir. I need you to ride throughout the countryside and warn your fellow colonists about the British coming. How can I smoke for our freedom? You will go up to the watchtower. Yeah. If the English arrive by land, I want you to smoke one giant bright bomb hit. Okay. If they arrive by sea, two giant bright bomb hits. That's a great idea, George, but what if instead if they arrive by land, I smoke 13 bomb hits, and if they arrive by sea, I smoke 13 bomb hits, and if they don't arrive, I just room. Denzel, I'm not sure why your idea is better than my idea. It's not better, it's just more fun, man. Look, the British, the British, they come by land. I shall now smoke 46 bong hits for America. When you get baked and perform this kind of stuff, like when you get baked and you are in your band and you're doing a song you've done a million times, you're not really going to get off track because of the fact you're stoned. In fact, you might get more in track. It's a different story with comedy. Like if, if you're doing something written that's in your head, that can really fuck you up. And you can see that we're like all in our heads and we're not flipping out. I think we're still enjoying ourselves, but we're, we're definitely affected by, uh, we did the dumbest thing you can do is get high before you perform it with a cannabis cup. <laughs> Well, I think it's, you know, I don't think the audience. No, is they were it. understanding. They were so whacked out. They probably couldn't tell yeah. it anyway. Let's break that down. How, how cannabis uh, is and is not useful in your, in your creative process. Cause mm -hmm. I'm really interested in that. Mm -hmm. And I hear different things. When, when you're writing it definitely like if there's ever a cure for writer's block, it would be marijuana. I, I would say, and I'm not saying it's the solution every time, but it definitely gets your brain thinking in a different way. And, and I don't use it necessarily as, and now I will smoke my joints. I, it's not necessarily a concrete part of my process, but yes, I think it can help you in your writing and be creative. It cannot, but you can also later read what you wrote when you were high and it, and it doesn't make sense or it's a little too wacky or silly or it's even terrible. But sometimes it's genius. So I, I wouldn't say either way is, is concrete for me. But uh, performance is a whole other thing, though. I just think creating it, and then there's creating it like improv, which I do, can be the performance too. But, he, but then you're, you're supposedly listening and creating with other people and you can become as we all know a poor listener when you get high so it, that's a very dangerous thing wait what uh, were you saying I, you <laughs> so i'd be curious you say other performers say it are those performers comedians i'd say unless they have like a kind of a stoner set or stoner persona like i can't imagining that 
make that be make make their comedy better. Well, we talked to Reggie Watts on the on the podcast, and what he said. Okay, uh, he's a little different though. <laughs> he he is he he's not doing exactly written material. He's doing very trippy, almost by its nature, trippy improvisational jazzy kind of stuff yeah what i thought was interesting is he said he likes to go on stage he's big into edibles he doesn't really smoke but he he ingests edibles a lot um he does tincture yeah but he said he'll go up and time it so that he comes on stage and he's completely straight and the edible creeps up on him throughout to the, the performance and that he finds that that gives him a very workable flow. Okay. Um, and then I, you know, for instance, like, for instance, for a musician, I talked to Damien Marley and, you know, I said, is, is cannabis part of your creative process? And he said, it's part of my every process. Willie Nelson famously. So it's it different runs though. Game. And I bet if they were performing, even Willie Nelson, that, that, that would be my question to Willie Nelson. Because what you're doing with music, it's kind of rote in that you're doing the exact same notes every time you're seeing the same lyrics. I mean, you can put more passion or back in Chicago once on a, on a Halloween, of course. I did shrooms and Pot does this. I think, I think shrooms does it even more. It fucks with your sense of time. Um, we used to call it the 131, <laughs> which was for every one second of real time i'm i'm living out three seconds of my own time i'm like i've i'm in this uh alternate timeline next to yours looking in on yours is sometimes how you feel when you're tripping and i did that once improvising and i at some point in the show everyone was looking at me and i felt like has everyone been looking at me for 10 minutes or 10 seconds and I, I think I chose 10 minutes and started flop sweating, sweating like, oh, no, I don't know what's happening, what's expected of me and what's going on. So I, I let it turn into a bad trip by uh, uh, letting the responsibility of performance weigh down on my buzz. Yeah, that, I had a, Nick Offerman uh, once told me about as a, as a college student. Uh, he was tried to get high to be in Man of La Mancha. And he said, you know, sometimes when you first start smoking pot, you have that feeling everybody's looking at me. <laughs> well, when you're on stage, it's very much true. <laughs> they are all looking at you and they, you know, paid eight bucks and have some expectations. So let's talk about the flip side then. Um, what are some of, can, is, there, is there sort of a high idea you can, you can remember where you say, wow, that was a great idea. It really turned into something. Um, and I don't think I would have had that idea if I wasn't uh, enjoying some cannabis. Oh, that's interesting. Something you write down that, that's like seemingly crazy. And then later, like, you know what, though? Maybe we could actually do that would be like a, another... Uh, idea that we did with the Upright Citizens Brigade in that sketch show, which became a whole episode. And I remember it, when I first wrote it down, it was just a one-liner high idea, which was little boy has a disease where he has an enormous penis, but one of the symptoms of the disease is he's completely unaware of it. Magneo oblivio phallicitis is what we <laughs> called it. Uh, and that just was a crazy idea, and that became a whole episode, which became one of my bigger characters called Little Donnie. Uh, the boy had a huge penis and wasn't aware of it. What only seemed like 
one line became like a documentary about this kid. And we, uh, something you can find on YouTube right now is we took that character to the Today Show to where Al Roker goes out with everybody. He works the line, Al Roker, and if you're like going to get married or have a birthday, he might talk to you. So we told him Matt Walsh was going to propose to his girlfriend. And he did that on air, and he, he got on air with his supposed girlfriend, proposed to her, and then started jumping up and down in jubilation. And then he went, in this great little Donnie? And then he moves to the side, and there I am in shorts, dressed as a kid, but with like shorts that are, you know, right, short shorts with this big old dong hanging out, this big old uh, dildo. And I'm jumping up and down screaming, yay, yay. And it takes Al Roker a second, like all the people around us see right away, oh shit, there's a dildo live on there on the Today Show. <laughs> and then, like I said, you can look this up right now on YouTube, but Little Donnie, Today Show, UCB. And uh, you see Al Roker realize it and they go, okay, let's move on. He has something he wants to ask you. Okay. Go ahead, Alan. Sharon? Yes. Will you marry me? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Little Tony. Oh, my. <laughs> I love you, Karen. Love you, Karen. Okay, doke. Let's go. Uh, let's take a show you what's going on right now. Oh my. And that was also the first time my real fiance, now my wife's parents, ever saw me on TV because my girlfriend now wife at the time said mom and dad you gotta my my boyfriend's about to prank al roker you gotta watch this and in retrospect i was like why did you tell (laughs) you knew what the bit was well are are her parents pretty did they think it was funny or did they uh i don't remember is it has it been tense ever since (laughs) (laughs) no i think they like me now i don't remember how they reacted to that uh, and they live in Florida too. It was edited out of the West Coast speed, but they they got it right on target in the East Coast. Yeah, there you go. Take me back to sort of the origins of the UCB, and would would cannabis be a, a kind of something you guys would socialize around, and and was there at the formation? I'll tell you, I started in Chicago, and Chicago is a very much a beer drinking town. And when I started doing improv, it was very much a, a white boys club, which thank God we've done something about that. It's a more diverse hobby now. But when I started, it was all, you know, it was very Catholic even. It was a lot of white Catholic straight men from the Chicago area. And I'm a half Jew from Arkansas, so I didn't necessarily uh, vibe with that either. But uh, and a pot smoker... In my 20s, I was a drinker, too. I would, I would do it all. But uh, drinking was more a part of the culture, for sure. In fact, I would say most improvisers I knew had about two beers in them before they'd get up on stage. And when I did start, and I, not, not to, and I would not, like I said earlier, I would not get high before getting on stage, just for my own sake. But I would after a show. But I would say very few people would. And more and more... As the years went on, would. But when I started in the early 90s, it was definitely more of a beer drinking culture uh, for some weird reason. But but also, it was much harder to get weed 
FYI. It was, <laughs> you know, so also it, it's not like it was around and easy all the time. And I was usually the one who did have it. And when I did have it, it was precious to me. People just don't get it unless you're my age. I'm not trying to be patronizing. But there was a time when you didn't name your strains. Like you heard of Maui, Wowie or whatever uh, in Legends. But the stuff you bought was never... You never were given the weed and told it was some strain, not even indica or sativa. It was just, it was either good or it was shit. And you could tell the difference by looking at it right away. Oh, yeah. I, people, you know, now I live in California and you have literally hundreds of options. And I always say my, my guy back in New York gave me two options. <laughs> Take it. Or leave it. Nice. And uh, yeah, I'd always go with take it. <laughs> you guys don't remember the fabulous Freak Brothers, all our dear listeners. But it, that, that, was, that was definitely our culture. The fabulous Freak Brothers were this cartoon from, uh, it started in the 60s, definitely in the 70s. But it was about these four hippies who, or was it three? Now I can't remember. Three that uh, always needed weed. We're always squeezing weed. We're always scraping resin. We're always smoking seeds and stems and People can't even dream now of uh, a situation where you'd have to mm. smoke stems. <laughs> you don't even see seeds. Sometimes it'd be, ah, no, it's going to give me a headache, but I'm going to smoke all the seeds. But anyway, I'm, I'm trying to That's say. Scraping a bowl. Oh, ugh. But that was part, but that was not part of our culture. And I, I was even treated in some, there was one theater I'd get high with a few of the guys who did get high. And it was like, I remember being berated by we could get shut down. I mean, we're in the we're in the back room inside a theater. Like they're envisioning cops busting down the doors. And how has that changed? How how have you seen cannabis then become more uh, a part of the comedy scene at the clubs and among other comedians? Well, more and more people smoke. Even some of those guys that didn't smoke at the time smoke now. Like some of those straight white Catholic guys, who I'm still really good friends with. Why did that change? It was demonized. I mean, even if you didn't believe in the Nancy Reagan reefer madness level, it still was socially demonized. It was still like, it wasn't like, that's going to make you go crazy, but it was like, hey, man, this could get us in trouble. It was more that kind of thing. Like, hey, be cool with that. Don't think you can just break this out in the middle of the party and in my apartment. And, you know, we hear a lot about performers and comedians you know, people deal with the pressures of that and, and what drew them to that in the first place mm. in a lot of ways. And so obviously a lot of performers, you know, struggle with different substances. Well, stand-up in, in, in particular, there's a lot of time on the road alone. Like it's almost two different cultures. Like I've done both. But uh, improv culture is you're pretty much only performing in your, in your city and at your place and you get off stage and you're in a green room with all your best friends stand up you can be literally driving for hours by yourself on planes by yourself maybe you're touring with someone that's not the norm it's usually and maybe you've done it so many years that you start to know people and you're not lonely but it's very lonely and it's very boring and downtime there's a lot of downtime in the middle of the day so when i hear about stand-ups getting on drugs and especially hard drugs uh, it's not surprising at all to me. Is there a perception among among comedians that maybe weed is is a long term pretty good way 
to deal with those pressures and that life. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's demonized at all anymore. I mean, it shouldn't be attached to like heroin, you know, that, that's always, I'm certainly not the first person to say that, but that heroin and cocaine are also big stand-up and entertainment drugs. And to, to put those in the same class is ludicrous, to put weed in the class with those two drugs. You know, and, and, and there's a lot of parallels with jazz music and comedy, I think. Individual mm -hmm. performers and groups, improvisation, that life on the road, you know, being somewhat outside of society. And of course, you know, the, the, a lot of the earliest cultural associations with weed are from jazz musicians. And one thing Louis Armstrong would, would talk about um, is that he wanted what he'd call vipers or weed heads, reefer heads in his bands and around him because he found them reliable. And he felt that musicians that drank a lot mm. or later mm. got into heroin is what happened in jazz, that they weren't going to be reliable, that they were going to be even a, a potentially a better player is just going to be a problem and a drag. Yeah. Without outing anybody. Mm -hmm. So without, you know, which we're just not about, um, but like of people who are pretty open of it. Who are some of your favorite performers or, or comedians that like are really fun to get high with? <laughs> Look, like, I don't know who would I be outing. Like, it seems ridiculous to think. I'll just think of people that I, I mean, like Andy Richter and I have been on getting dug with high like i guess that's as out as you can be and um i go back i started in chicago with andy he was one of the guys in that theater that would get high with me <laughs> and he's also uh uh a straight white guy from chicago and of course amy poehler and i do a show my podcast improv for humans plug we do a 420 special every year where we we do improvise high, as I just got through telling you, don't do that. But we do it as an experiment every year. And that, that's always been a good crew. John Gabrish, John Gimberling. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, go I go way back with, with Doug Vincent. I mean, back to the times before it was as popular to get high. Like, I would, we would always seek each other out. So you've done these 420 specials, you performed at Bonnaroo, um, you're obviously uh, pretty experienced performing in front of, uh, mm -hmm. if you're not stoned, the audience. Uh, oh, I got a story for you, I don't know where you're going with this, <laughs> but uh, do they have still have that jam band festival, jam band festival called A Gathering of the Vibes? Is that still a Yeah, thing? yeah, yeah. So if you don't know about it, it's just, it's like every jam band is there. And we got booked to do that, the UCB four of us, to do improv, I think one of its early years. And we had done a ton of comedy festivals and, and different events where it's kind of a variety show, but never performed on a big concert festival-sized stage. We'd never been part of a big thing like this. So anyway, I think you see where this is going. Improv on a big rock and roll jam bands mm -hmm. i'm asking thousands of people to be attentive listeners like right away it wasn't working we we're like i forget how we started the show but in, in into the first scene we could hear the cacophony of voices of the of the crowd and it, and it wasn't like how are we going to get thousands of people to shut the fuck up because even when the band's playing people aren't shut up you just can't hear them 
like they're kind of all talking to each other. This is great. Yeah. But you don't hear that because the, the music rises above that. But with comedy, you, you're at the same tone and level they are pretty much. So we couldn't operate. I forget how we got into it, but Ian went, Oh, I think we started getting heckled. I think some dude goes, Hey, motherfucker, where's your guitars? And we're like, Wow, we're getting this kind of heckling from this kind of crowd. Wow. <laughs> And we're like, we're not a band. Fuck you, man. Bring all the next band. We're like, oh, no. What is this? Can I interject that in that guy's defense? There's no defense yeah. for heckling. He might have been on some strong acid. Sure. <laughs> and he just needed some tunes. In my defense, we weren't the only stage. There were a couple <laughs> other stages with bands currently with- jamming. Withdrawn. <laughs> <laughs> but this is how we saved ourselves is in... He goes, hey, you guys know... And we did have fans in the crowd, just not thousands of fans. Some fans are out there. And Ian said, hey, you guys know Bong Boy? And pointed to me, and we did get a few. Yeah, Bong Boy. Well, Bong Boy says you guys have shit weed, and and no one has as weed as good as he does right now. And people started throwing (laughs) weed up on the stage I got great weed, dude. No, check out my weed. People <laughs> pelting us with buds of weed and us just getting high. I can't remember what state Gathering the Vibes is in. I'm sure it obviously wasn't legal, but we were just sampling weed and getting high, and that was our set. For a half hour, we just had a who has the best mm-hmm. weed contest, and people thoroughly enjoyed it. So we didn't do much good improv, but I found a way to work that atmosphere i guess the law uh, that just passed in california is going to allow for for consumption lounges denver just passed a similar law and i think you know we're going to see comedy more and more done in these spaces where uh you'll have a pretty stoned audience and mm-hmm. you're, you're you're a bit of a pioneer of that and mm-hmm. i'm wondering what practical advice you can you can offer other comedians. We have done at our UCB theaters uh, every year for years a show on 420 uh, to the point where now it's we do multiple shows on 420. One of them starts at 420. I usually host that show, but and it's been like I was making fun of Washington Square Park. People have treated our show like it's legal, man. Like this show inside this theater right now, it's legal. And we never, we never encouraged that. And we never said do it. It just became a thing. Anyway, it's been a very popular show and people do smoke out in it. And if they don't smoke out in it, they certainly do in their car before they walk inside. And my big observation, which holds true every year, is the f- whereas most comedy shows, you could argue the second half of the show is better than the first half because you're usually building in name recognition or acts or something. Without question, the first half of the 420 show is always better because, and they're always amused by the end, but you know how stoners are. They'll go from laughing way too loud to way back into their seat with this huge grin on their face, kind of going... <laughs> so I'm like, guys, when you go out, if you're in the second half, don't feel like you're bombing if you're not getting as big a laughs. Cause, and there's always someone asleep, too. There's always someone with a big grin. A drunk audience, if someone said it's a drunk audience and just said that, I would, that would be loaded to me. That would mean if one comedian said to the other, it's a drunk audience, that would have a negative connotation. That would mean they're acting like a bunch of dumbasses. 
your jokes are going to have to be about you're playing the lowest common denominator. Not to say that stoners don't like lowest common denominator too, but if I was if I was told you got a bunch of stoners out there, I might think, uh-oh, they're asleep. But if, if it wasn't that, I would think, oh, that's positive. And that means they're more, they're, op- they're open to me trying things. They're open to me not hearing a typical stand-up mm-hmm. act. Of course, they're more open. I think on a surface level, you might mean, well, stoner humor means stuff that's more absurd, like what you might associate with adult swim. And I think there's some truth to that. But I would like to think that there's an elevated, I don't know. I, I go back to like the Freak Brothers, that whole culture of underground comics that I was into. I felt like this is this is elevated comedy. Daniel Klaus, Peter Baggy, uh, uh, Kim Deitch, all, all those guys, Robert Crumb, they were doing comedy and it was it was just elevated. It was just a different level of smarter comedy than you would find in a sitcom or elsewhere. And as a stoner, I was kind of proud of that. I don't know. And outside of the Freak Brothers, none of those guys I named are necessarily writing about weed. But I felt like that was weed humor. And that people into weed were into those comic books, for instance. Can you say the same thing about TV these days? You probably could. And now we're becoming more niche where you can have a... Like Maria Bamford's Lady Dynamite's a really weird show. It might not be everyone's cup of tea. You'd never see something that weird on a network. I would like to think that that has a stoner sensibility to it. It doesn't have anything to do with weed, but it's a very weird show. Then you have like Broad City where it's 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 a more typical show, but they literally are smoking pot on it. So you could mm-hmm. say, well, that's definitely going to appeal to stoners because those two characters are stoners. And now there's now you you can't throw a rock without hitting a network developing a show about a dispensary. There must be at least three or four dispensary shows out there. I'm I'm cautious about those shows. I'm gonna see because like I think you've implied, I don't like it when people who aren't stoners kind of get into our culture. <laughs> so I don't necessarily trust all those creators out there. I'll, I'll see. I'll see. I'll, I'll save my opinion for after I watch those shows. I am wearing my nice dreams t-shirt right now, though. So. Nice. Yeah. What, are you, you, uh, you a big fan Cheech and Chong? I am. And I'll tell you about Cheech and Chong. Cheech and Chong, and it might have even been nice dreams. I, they all, all those movies kind of run together for me. But, uh, and I love them all. I don't love them all. I love, <laughs> I love three of them, maybe. That's who introduced me to Pee Wee Herman, for instance. Like I'm pretty sure it's Nice Dream. Oh, and Nice Dreams is the one. Is that the one where they go to the insane asylum? He's in two of them. Now I think about it. And one of them, he's like under this table. He's like, "Do you want some hamburger? I'm the hamburger man." And when I and I remember seeing his character in that movie and thinking, and I and I was way far away from. I was probably junior high. I was way far away from smoking weed or knowing anything about it but that was an introduction to a type of humor i was like i've never seen anything like this i've never seen a character like this uh the the character paul rubens was doing it wasn't peter herman it was another character he was doing but that character in there and and then he was in two other movies i remember going who is this guy and at this point i'm young i'm not thinking about being a comedian but i'm like this is a whole other kind of comedy. It's not, and it's not just the weed part of it. It's the just the kind of weirdness part of it, and 
willingness to be a little bit nonsensical or not a straight A to B to C plot. That was another great thing about Cheech and Chong movies was, that's why I can't remember the stories. The stories were always stupid. Who cared about the stories? There was basically going from sketch to sketch, you know, and, and I'm, I'm very influenced by that. That's how I appreciate when I hear comedy talked of as there was a good story. I'm like, well, is it? I didn't enjoy that comedy movie because of the story. I the story got me to all these funny scenes, but I don't walk away going, that was a great story. I rarely mm -hmm. think that. And I think, and I think a problem with a lot of comedy movies is putting too much emphasis on what is the story and what's the heart and what's the ending going to be. And usually the last 30 minutes of every movie sucks because they are trying to answer all those things and they stop getting funny. Cheech and Sean never worried about that. <laughs> We're just like, let's keep doing dumb sketches. And I, I love that. What's the most enjoyable cannabis experience you've had? Just, <laughs> of course, the early ones are the ones. Because at this point, I mean, it's such a part of my life. It's like hard to identify any me getting high as a cannabis experience anymore. And the early ones, I, I, didn't, I didn't get high until I was in college, which I'm kind of thankful for. I, I think my high school personality and brain weren't mature, wouldn't have been mature enough to do it in the right way and handle it. So I'm glad I did wait till I was, and it was, it was demonized too. At that point I was like, Oh, that leads to heroin, you know, or I was definitely in that kind of mindset until I got to college. But then in college, it all changed. The hair grew out and the collared shirts came off and I no longer thought I wanted to be an econ major and, so it definitely transformed my personality. And, I, and I, I was not a good drunk. I was an obnoxious drunk. I'm an obnoxious stoner too, but less <laughs> obnoxious than drunk, that's for sure. Uh, so it definitely transformed my personality in a good way. I can remember the first time I got high, this kid on my floor, I think he was pretty much, this was his way of going, Best, you need to take it down a notch because you're pissing everyone off when you're drunk. He didn't say that, but he was like, you need to try weed. And I think that was his way of saying that. And we got high and we started, he played guitar and he started playing uh, Sultans of Swing. And I started singing it and I was just convinced that I was nailing that song. I was like, looking at him like, this is unbelievable. I sound, what's the guy that sings? I can't even remember who sings that song. That's Dire Straits, right? Uh, I was like, I am fucking ill. I sound like fucking dire straits. And I had convinced myself I was an amazing singer that day. A funny bong boy. This is more their experience being entertaining for me than my experience. Uh, and this is more recent, but it was the final fish show before they had their breakup. And now they're back together. But if you remember when they broke up, I was fortunate enough to know the manager of fish. So we had seats that were literally on stage but it was halfway in the middle of the show and they have those long shows i was hungry and i had to get something to eat and all the food was at the top of this at the top of the hill that the crowd was on so to get there i had to literally run through the crowd which was looking towards the stage and this is thousands and thousands of people all sitting on grass uh, so I had to get through the entire crowd to go get food. So that's what I did. I jumped down off the stage, started running. And the only way to get through a crowd like that, as you know, 
at a festival is people's blankets because it's like there's no official aisle. So you have to pretty much jump on a blanket to another blanket. And I was doing that. I was like skipping through blankets up through the crowd. And I landed on this one blanket. And every time I land on a blanket, people are looking right at me because they're looking at the show going on behind me, if you're following me. And I jumped on this blanket and this guy goes, Bong boy, is that you? Are you really here? <laughs> and his eyes looked like saucers. He probably was a little more than stone, but he was so fucking high. And I go, yeah, man, I'm really here. He goes, I can't believe Bong Boy just jumped on and peered on my blanket out of nowhere. <laughs> hey, man, you want to get high? I'm like, sure, man, I'll get high. And I got high with him real quick. And then I jumped away. And the guy's like, Bong Boy just landed on my blanket. <laughs> so uh, that was funny enjoying his experience. All right. If you're, if you're out there. Uh, fish fan listener uh now you can verify your story that probably none of your friends i think many of his friends told him it was just a guy who looked like bond boy and i bet anything the guy didn't know my name he like was a fan of the character more than a fan of me so he was just like bond boy it was that character when like you're the guy who plays bond boy it's like the character has shown Mm -hmm. up Awesome. Well, man, thanks so much for uh, running us on well, the podcast. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on, buddy. Absolutely. Take care. Keep fighting. Good fight. Well, that's the show, folks. Thanks so much for listening. And if you stuck around this long, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can put five on it at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. And that would really help us as we research, write, edit, and publish a new episode every Weedness Day. Great Moments in Weed History is written, produced, and performed by me, David Beanstock, aka Bean. Special thanks to our sponsor, PAX. Go to PAX.com and use promo code GREATMOMENTS, all one word, for a big discount at checkout.